I want to share with you today something that I, I felt the Lord just really put on my heart for this season. You know, when we were asking the Lord what series of messages we want to do in December, we, we try very strategically to hear specifically not only for the calendar time of the year. Let, let me just say this. For those of you that grew up in a charismatic Pentecostal church, oftentimes the church calendar doesn't mean a lot to you because Pentecostal charismatics just basically, we, we've traditionally just had church. But for those of you that grew up in liturgical church, a more traditional church, if you grew up Catholic, you recognize that the church actually has a calendar and it has certain things that are emphasized at certain times of the year. And one of the things that we seek to do is we don't want to lose our full gospel expression at all. We really do believe we're led by the Spirit. But it's interesting how the Holy Spirit wants to remind us of certain benchmarks, pillars of truth, so that we don't ride a hobby horse and just preach the things we like. I mean, if you know it's important, we preach the whole Bible. And if you never understand what the world was waiting for, Christmas, it wasn't Santa Claus. They were not all tucked in their bed. The world was trying to find out whether they had been naughty or nice. But heaven was not taking that into account. I want to tell you something. Jesus will be better to you than Santa Claus. Because Santa Claus gifts are based on whether you're naughty or nice. Heaven didn't take that into account at all. Your niceness couldn't earn it and your naughtiness couldn't resist it. But I want to talk today out of the theme that Pastor Amanda began last week. We titled this series, The Thrill of Hope. The Thrill of Hope. I hope you go with us all the way to Christmas Eve because that's where we'll end this series. And the song, O Holy Night, says this, The earth was pining till he appeared. And the earth began to rejoice. And it says the thrill of hope that that brought changed everything. And I want to talk to you today about something everybody in this room experiences. I want to talk to you about never late, never early, but on time. Let me try that one more time. Never late, never early, but on time. Let me, let me ask this question. How many people in this room today would acknowledge and say, Bishop, time is sure different when I'm a, an adult than it was when I was a kid. How many of you remember when you were a child, Christmas could never get here fast enough? I ain't got no help in the room, huh? How many of you know it was like December 1st and then Christmas should be here the next day? So when you're a child, time seems to go so slow. Seems like it takes forever to get to my birthday. 
But then it takes forever to get to Christmas Eve so we can finally get to the Christmas, opening Christmas presents. But how many of you know when you're an adult, it's only 10 days away. And I'm like, I'm rushing. I'm like, oh my God, it's done caught me already. And I'm not even finished preparing. Why? Because time has a different meaning to different people. But people continually ask the same question. They ask it all over the world. And they ask this question to me as a speaker. They ask it to each other. They ask this question, what time is it? What time is it? In the history of the world, what time is it? I thought about telling a blonde joke. My mother-in-law had told me, but I didn't think that would be very safe. For obvious reasons. So I thought I'd tell a, a bald preacher joke. <clears throat> this guy said he kept asking people, what time is it? And he said, I keep getting a different answer from everybody. Would somebody please tell me what time it is? Because the truth of the matter is, is that a lot of people can't discern what time it is. They don't know what time it is. In fact, Jesus makes an incredible point when he comes to the earth. He looks at the religious leaders of his day and he says, you guys amaze me. He says, you can look at the sky and tell whether or not to sail your ships. You know what, what season of the year it is, but you don't know the time of my appearing. You can judge natural things, but you can't judge spiritual things. In other words, you keep missing the time. Then he makes this statement in Luke 19. He talks to a whole city called Jerusalem. He said this. He said, I, I actually came to liberate you. I came to break you into, into opportunities that you've never experienced. But because you didn't recognize the time of my visitation, I've left you embanked about. Actually, he prophesies the overthrow of Jerusalem. He said 70 years from now, Jerusalem is going to be overthrown and nothing's going to be left. And it's not going to be because God couldn't help. It's going to be because you didn't recognize what time it was. Time. Somebody shout time. Let me, let me ask you a question. How many people in the room today have ever struggled with God's timing? Any, anybody in the room, I'm going to see how many honest people we got. Anybody in the room will be honest enough to admit there's some things you prayed about you thought should have been answered by now. Come on, let me see your hand. My hand's up, both hands are up, and, and one foot if I could do that. Hmm? They're all up. Why? Because the truth of the matter is, is that struggling with timing is a huge issue. But it's an important issue in the Christmas story. In fact, so important that Paul included it in teaching us about the gospel. But here's why. Let me tell you why it's important. Isaiah had prophesied, Pastor Jay quotes that Isaiah had prophesied in Isaiah 7. He prophesied again in Isaiah 9. He prophesied again in Isaiah 11 about the coming of one who, who was going to have the right to rule and reign, whose government would be upon his shoulders. But he goes ahead and later on in chapter 55, he begins to prophesy and he begins to say things like this. He said, when he comes, you're going to have to understand something. His thoughts are not your thoughts. And his ways are not your ways. As far as the heavens are above the earth, 
so are his thoughts above your thoughts. Anybody ever done something like this? Well, I'll tell you what God ought to do. If I were God, I don't understand why he didn't do this. And then we start saying things like this. Well, if I as a man understand that, how come God doesn't understand it? And we start comparing our natural understanding to God's wisdom. And somehow we believe because we live 38 years, we ought to be able to talk to the Ancient of Days. Because our 38 years has exposed us to everything we'll ever need to know in order to survive and be successful in life. But God comes along and says, oh, I know you think I'm late. But I'm loving you enough to be late. Because if I showed up in your understanding, you would really miss the big picture and you'd miss the big miracle. So I'm going to let you stew in your anxiousness while I work my perfect will so that all things can work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. If you don't believe that, go have a conversation with Mary and Martha. They had understanding that he should have come. Lazarus was sick. And Jesus loved them enough to be late. I ain't got no help in the room. He loved them enough to wait four days until Lazarus had died. Because he wanted to show them a greater power than just healing a sick man. He wanted to show them he had the power to break the power of death and that he was the resurrection and the life. Never early, never late. Somebody shout it. On time. Let's read today from Galatians chapter 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman under the law to redeem those who were under the law. That we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you're sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your heart. So that we cry, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you'll speak to us clearly and accurately today. I pray, Holy Spirit that you allow me to communicate in a way that people's lives will be forever changed. And I give you glory and honor for it. In Jesus' name. Everybody shout amen. 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 Somebody shout fullness of time. On the church calendar, we are in what's called Advent. Everybody say Advent. Advent. Advent is the four weeks leading up to Christmas Eve. The 12 days of Christmas that we listen to being played in the mall and sing really don't occur the 12 days prior to Christmas. They occur the 12 days after Christmas. They start on Christmas Day and go 12 days after Christmas. Advent goes until Christmas Eve. In the traditional days of the first century churches for the, in, in 4 and 500 A.D., they didn't sing Christmas carols until Christmas Eve. Because the whole world celebrated and learned what it meant to 
to wait. To wait. The word Advent. Somebody shout Advent. Let me, let me tell you what it means. The word Advent means this. It means the arrival or the coming of something of noble importance. It is the time of expectant waiting. The time of expectant waiting. Let me tell you the definition of hope. The definition of hope is this. It is the earnest expectation something good is going to happen. When you say you have hope, you have the expectation something good is going to happen in my life. How many of you remember a man named Oral Roberts used to say this all the time? Something good is going to happen to you today. What was he saying? He was saying, get your hope up because something good is coming your way. The whole first century, the time of Jesus' arrival, listen to me closely, the whole world was waiting. They were imagining a day when chains would be broken where they would be liberated from their captivity, where wholeness could be restored, where brokenness would be removed, where captivity would no longer be a reality in their life. They lived their life waiting on a day that a Messiah would come. And throughout history, watch this, in in, in the years of the Babylonian captivity, they waited to be delivered from Babylon, but they were not anxiously waiting for a Messiah. They just wanted to get better. They weren't waiting for one who could set them totally free. But the world began to shift in the first century into a season of unusual expectation. I want you to know four things today. Here's the first one. If you're not going to be late and you're not going to be early, but you're going to learn the timing of God, here's the key. that The expectation has to be right. The expectation has to be right. Paul writing this passage, if you'll give me a minute, I maybe get a little Bible study-ish here for a minute, and then we'll get very practical with application, okay? Paul in this passage is talking about people who were in bondage. The whole fourth chapter, actually the third and fourth chapter, he uses a lot of language that would equate to slavery. He talks about people being sons, slaves, being heirs, being captives, people being under governors and tutors. But he makes a bold proclamation. He says we were all in bondage. Somebody shout bondage. Now, how many of you know, watch this, the book of Galatians is addressing, this passage is addressing what Pastor Amanda spoke about briefly last week about the 400 years of silence between Malachi and Matthew. When Malachi the prophet of the the last book in your Old Testament, when he finishes his ministry, prophetic ministry, from then until John the Baptist appears, is 400 years. There's no canon of scripture. There are historical documents that tell us what happened, but there's no inspired canon of scripture during that time. It's called the 400 years of silence where God appeared to be saying nothing. But in the midst of the 400 years of silence, the world was waiting, waiting. How many of you have ever said, I wish God would say something? 
They were waiting, waiting. So Paul comes along and he says what happened is, is that in that bondage, watch, and watch this, Galatians in particular is not written to a Jewish audience. It's written to a Gentile audience. So when he talks about the law and he talks about the elementary things in Galatians, he's not talking so much about the Mosaic law because actually the Gentiles never lived under the Mosaic law. He's talking to them about the fact that you lived under propped up deities. You lived under religious rules. You lived under dogmas that you thought would make your life more hopeful and better, more joyful. He said, you keep having all these gods that you prop up on your own. If you recognize something, I'll share this in just a minute. If you recognize something, the whole world had been under Greek influence. So everybody was following the Greek gods, Zeus and, and Hercules and all the people that you see as, as people that are characters in fictional movies today were actually realities in the Greek world. These people worshipped at these temples and honored these propped up gods. And he said, here's what happens. Everything, please don't miss this. Everything you create as a God yourself actually captures you and brings you in bondage to it. Let me tell you what happens in our culture. Our culture, we have propped up gods called this success. We have propped up gods called popularity. We have propped up gods called comfort. I ain't got no help. We even have propped up gods called pleasure. I have a right. We have propped up gods. We even make gods out of family. Because we feel so guilty about how our parents did us, we throw the pendulum all the way to the other side to where we make now a God out of our family and that comes first in everything we do. Which is not biblical. It's not in the Bible. But we've created it in our own thought pattern that is so far from his. You say, Bishop, you don't love your family? I love my family dearly. That's not my point. My point is, everything you create as a God will bring you in bondage to it. When you live for success, how many of you know that means that you will be willing to miss dinner time with your family to keep your success? When you live for pleasure, you'll spend money you don't have. You'll forsake things of responsibility in order to get you your comfort zones. Because you make those propped up gods in your life. Paul calls them elementary things. He calls them kiddie things. They're like childish. He says, and what happens is you're in bondage to them. But watch this. God has to expose. Please hear me today. God has to expose the fact that all of us were slaves. I look at people and I go, everybody's somebody's slave. The issue is who you're slave to. You're either a slave to yourself, you're a slave to the devil, you're a slave to a habit, you're a slave to thought patterns that are not in alignment with God, or else you've become a son or daughter of God. Because everybody was in bondage. Why does he make that point? Because watch this. If you never believe you need a deliverer, you'll never cry for one. 
As long as you believe I'm okay. Can I say something to you? There's a lot of talk going on. Am I doing okay? Everybody in love with me still? There's a lot of talk going on in our nation today that it's okay to not be okay. Can I tell you something? It is okay to not be okay. But when you find out you're not okay, it ought to make you cry out to want to be okay. Because God will take me as I am. It was in my bondage I cried out and said I need a savior. It was in my bondage I cried out and said I need a rescuer. It was in my lostness I cried out and said I need somebody to deliver me from this captivity. And that's when it made me aware. He came for me. So watch this. What happened? We talk about the expectancy was right. They were looking for a deliverer, a savior. Let me tell you what that meant. Not only was the time, he said fullness of time. Watch this. Jesus coming, don't miss this. Jesus coming was not a Kairos moment. His birth was a Kairos moment. But the timing of his birth meant the cup had been filling up, filling up, filling up, filling up, filling up, filling up. God said, I'm not going to let him come. Until certain things get in place. Do you realize God could have sent his son two weeks after Adam and Eve sinned? He could have nipped the whole thing in the bud. But here's what God said. God said, I'm going to wait till the fullness of time. Let me tell you what happened in those 400 years. Can I tell you what happened in those 400 years? Here's what happened in those 400 years. First of all, the Persians had captured the Middle East. And the Israelites were captive to Persia. And it was actually Persia that sends them back to Jerusalem to rebuild Jerusalem. Because Persia overthrew Babylon and allowed them to return home. Problem is, most of them when they were in the captivity of Persia didn't go back home. Only 50,000 returned home. So the Jewish people were spread out all over the world. The Persians allowed them to build what is called synagogues. There had never been a synagogue before the Persian captivity. Because everything with the Jewish faith had to do about the temple. But because the temple had been destroyed, they were able to build teaching centers, which is what the synagogue is. They were able to build teaching centers all over the world for Jewish people to be taught the law and the ways of Moses. So the Persians ruled for about 100 years of those silent years. Then all of a sudden, the Persians encountered a man called Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great was a young Greek teenager who massed an army who had in his heart to conquer the world. In fact, Alexander the Great died at 33. But when he sat down at 30 years of age, he made this statement. The, Bible, the, the history says that Alexander the Great wept because there were no more kingdoms to conquer. He had conquered his known world. History says that from, here's the thing that Alexander the Great, watch this, God's work in a pattern. Synagogues had been built with the Persians. The Greeks come and conquer them, and here's what Alexander the Great does. Now over the 30 or 40 years that he rules, and then the Greek Empire, he wants everybody to speak one common language, Koine Greek. So history says that from the British Isles to Western India, to North Africa, all of the world became bilingual in a matter of a year or two. Everybody had to learn Greek in order to survive. 
So the Greek, they had a common language. Once the Greeks had been overthrown, how many of you know they got overthrown by the people that were the, the, uh, the Egyptians came? The Egyptians came, overthrew the Greeks, and when the Egyptians overthrew the Greeks, stay with me, they gave us what's called the Septuagint, which is the Old Testament written in the Greek language. So now everybody could read the Old Testament Torah. Then the, the Egyptians got overrun by the Syrians. This is all in the 400 years. The Syrians showed up. They desecrated Jerusalem. They decimated the temple. In fact, the Syrians forced Israeli people, Jewish people, to eat pork, refused to let them be circumcised because they wanted to desecrate everything to do with their worship. What that did was create in them a longing, a longing for a Messiah. They recognized we've been under rulership from somebody for hundreds of years. We're ready for a Messiah. So when the Syrians overthrew Jerusalem, forced the people to eat pork, made the people be desperate for a Messiah, there was a rebellion within the Jewish people called the Maccabean Rebellion. The Maccabeans were led by a man named Mathathias. He had five sons. Those five sons created a guerrilla warfare against the Syrians, took back the city of Jerusalem, restored the temple, restored temple worship, and reinstituted sacrifices at the temple. That's called Hanukkah. That's what Hanukkah is about. It's about when Jerusalem was restored. But the Maccabean rebellion only lasted for a short period of time, a few years, because all of a sudden Rome began to amass an incredible army under Julius Caesar, and it began to march across the known world. And Julius Caesar, his son, then Caesar Augustus, they march the army into the Middle East, and they take over all of the Middle East. When Rome comes, here's what Rome brings. Rome brings stable government. They bring systems so that everything can be, taxes can be collected, things can be carried out. They bring what's called Pax Romana, which means that they enforce the peace all over the world. The Roman soldiers would stay everywhere so that people could travel freely without being threatened by bands of, of bandits or without little rebel armies taking and vandalizing them because they enforced the peace. And here's the other thing. Hold on. Rome built 250,000 miles of paved roads. I wish they were in Oklahoma. Think about it. In the first century, they built roads that people still ride on today. 250,000 miles of paved roads. You say, Bishop, what's all this got to do with me? Here's what all this has got to do. Who took advantage of all that? Let me tell you who took advantage of all that. The apostles. Because in Acts, when the gospel needed to go to the ends of the earth and reach you and I, they had 
synagogues that the apostles could go teach in. They had a common language so everybody could hear. They had a Septuagint that could be taught to everybody. They had a desire in their heart for a Messiah. And they had highways that were peaceful for them to travel everywhere they wanted to go. Paul traveled over 14,000 miles on foot taking the gospel from city to city to city. Why? Because while, listen to me closely, because God is always working even when you don't think he is. And here's the point. Here's the point. Never confuse God's silence as inactivity. Never believe that just because he ain't talking to you, he isn't working on your circumstance. He may be preparing a highway for you to get to where you need to be. He may be talking to a boss about a language that needs to be spoken so that you can fulfill the message of God in your life. Somebody in the room today ought to say, thank God he's working even when I don't see him. Hallelujah. That means in the kingdom, nothing just happens. You can't write your testimony and say, well, it just happened that we were in the same place at the same time. It just happened I got that job. It just happened I got that loan officer and he gave me the loan to buy my home. It just happened that I got that doctor and he knew exactly what to do. No, in the kingdom, nothing just happens. And if you're waiting, what you're waiting on is the fullness of time. He's never early and he's never late. He's on time. Watch this. God doesn't operate by happenstance. He operates by providence. That went to the back wall. Let me try that one more time. God does not operate by happenstance. He operates by providence. You say, I don't understand what that means. Well, let me talk about the word providence for a minute. Providence is an English word. comes from two Latin words. Pro, P-R-O, which means before, and verdere, which is where we get our English word video, means to see. So here's what God does. He sees beforehand what's needed. We call him Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh literally means this, the God who sees in advance what you need and prepares it so it's in place when you get there. Oh, I wish somebody would help me. Abraham, when did your ram get caught? Well, it got caught before I got there. I just didn't know it was caught. I was coming up one side of a mountain. My ram was coming up another side of the mountain. And God, by province, had my answer waiting on me when I got there. See, your life, listen to me, your life is like a movie. But the devil wants to freeze frame it. 
He wants to make your life a snapshot. He wants to take a Polaroid of one bad moment. I'm going to preach over here. He wants to lock you into a disappointment, a betrayal, a frustration, a futility. Boom. So that every time you view your life, you just go, what's your life like? I came to tell somebody today, will you please put up your Polaroid camera and your snapshots and will you let the movie play out because there are more scenes that are about to come. You have got locked up in a time and not seen the fullness of time. There is more to the movie. Oh, I feel good today. Come on, how many of you in the room believe there's more to the movie of your life? So Paul writes to these people and say, you thought God had forgotten you. You thought the world was in futility. You thought you were living in silence. You thought God wasn't going to come through. But what you don't understand is he was setting you up. Not for any deliverer, but for the eternal deliverer who could come and set you free. Oh, I'm so, I can't help it. I was in London years ago and I heard a story about the, about the, the museum in Paris, the Louvre. There's a picture in the museum in the Louvre. I don't know how many of you have ever been there, but there's a picture there that was, it was, it was on, on loan and it was given by a very famous artist and the picture is called Checkmate. Checkmate. And it's this artist rendering. The devil is sitting on one side of the table playing chess with a, with a man on the other side. And on this, come on guys, I'm gonna, we're going to get done here in a minute. The, there's a, the devil's sitting on this side. There's a chessboard, and there's a guy sitting on the other side. And the guy sitting on the other side has his hand on his head like this, and he's like in desperation. And on this side, the devil is laughing away. And the picture's called Checkmate. And as they were taking a tour through the Louvre, there had been a group of, 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 of athletes and particularly ch world champions that were being given a special tour. And in the tour was the world chess champion. And he comes walking by the picture. And the guy's explaining to him, this is a picture of an artist's rendering of somebody who lost a battle with the devil. Because the devil's laughing. He's got him cornered. And he says, Checkmate. And the guy on the other end of the table is going, oh, no. And so the group moved on to the next picture to see something else. But the world chess champion, he stayed there. And he just kept looking at the drawing. He kept looking at the picture. And soon they noticed that he was not with the group. And so the tour guide came back. 
and said, we've, we've, we've moved on. Are you, are you coming? He said, well, I've been looking at this picture. And the guy said, yeah. He said, it's, it's called Checkmate. The devil's laughing. The man's lost. And he said, yeah. He said, I've been noticing that. He said, but while I've been standing here, I've kept looking at the picture. And he said, you know, I'm, a, I'm the world champion chess player. He said, yes, sir, I understand that. He said, he said, and I've been looking at the picture called Checkmate. And I'm, I've, I've, got, I've got a problem. And he said, well, what, what do you mean? He said, well, you know I'm a, I'm a world champion chess player. And I spend my life playing chess. And normal people don't always see what a world champion chess player Sees. He says, but when y'all walked off, I looked at the devil laughing and I looked at the man in desperation. But he said, I noticed something on the chessboard. He said, either they're going to have to change the painting or they're going to have to change the name. And the guy said, well, why are they going to have to do that? He said, well, you know, I'm a world champion chess player. And he said, when I observed the board, I found out the king still has one more move. I come to tell somebody today, you believe you've been cornered. You believe everything is gone and nothing has got any hope. But the king still has one more move. In the fullness of time, God sent his son Somebody ought to shout. Come on, give the Lord a great praise. I dare you to declare it. The king has one more move. He has one more move over my finances. He has one more move over my marriage. He has one more move over my kids. It is not over. he hadn't been working the devil's been laughing but the king come on everybody stand I'll finish this at Christmas Eve listen here's the key and in the fullness of time God sent forth son here's the important words God sent it wasn't random I came to tell somebody today he's going to send what you need It didn't just happen. Before service, somebody shared a testimony with me. And I know she's here and she wouldn't mind me saying it. I'm, I'm going to respect her privacy. She had a financial situation this week. Where she needed an extra amount of money. She had a friend that's not even a believer. She said, I paid everything I could pay. 
She said, I didn't know what I'd do with the next 15000 that I needed. And she said, this friend walked up to me that is not even a believer and said to her, I'll take care of that. I'll take care of that. And it's, watch this, and it's not a loan. It's a gift. And she said to me when she told me the testimony, she said, Bishop, I can't say to her that God used her because she wouldn't understand it. She said, but I know. She said, I've been friends with her since we were 18 years old. That was a while ago. She's never done that. Why'd she do it now? Because in the fullness of time, God sends. And he sends it from places you never thought it would come from. What you need to stop doing is trusting your propped up gods to send something to you that they're incapable of sending. And trust the God of heaven who says, I haven't forgotten you. I won't forsake you. And in the fullness of time, I will send. See, the issue is not will he do it. The issue is, can you have an advent enough to wait for it? Because what happens is in our waiting, we try to come up with all of our self-made answers. And we create double problems for ourselves. That's what Advent's about. It's about an expectant waiting. God, I don't know when. I don't know how. But I know you will. With this I close. When it says he sent his son the language there implies this Jesus existed somewhere else I don't have an hour to unpack this but here's what God's saying I don't have to create your answer I got it I got it in another place and I will send it right on time well what do I do till you send it you live in the thrill of hope wow I live standing on my tippy toes knowing that it might be today that he does what I've been believing for. And if not today, like the prodigal's father, I'll stand on my porch tomorrow and I'll keep looking. Because that, ladies and gentlemen, is what the thrill of hope is all about.